started talking about the armor of God, and we got through one over the last few weeks, so I'm going to tackle the second piece of armor. So if you guys have your Bibles, and you don't have any dessert, because I'm going to put these away, they'll be tempting. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 through 14. It's going to be on the screen as well. So if you don't have it on your phone, you want to read it with us on the screen, feel free. It says, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having prepared everything to take your stand, to be fortified, to be firmly positioned and placed. Verse 14, stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, and righteousness like armor on your chest. We are commanded to be equipped and prepared in the Lord's power and strength because that is what is going to allow us to stand. And many times we fall. Many times we fall and God is commanding us to stand. I love that because if you have fallen, that's not your way, that's not your destiny. Your destiny is to stand. That means that standing is in your future if you receive it. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. This is something that we cannot wait for your spouse or your pastor or your friends to put on you. Even the Lord himself will not put on righteousness. You have to take it up. You have to put it on. The chest plate is considered to be the heaviest piece of armor um, in the Roman times. And this is cheesy, and you've probably seen people do this before, so I'm just going to step in line with all the cheesiness of illustrations and just get it over with before I turn 40. And then after 40, I'll get more creative. But I asked Farron to bring this. Yeah, he did. Okay. Now, for the untrained eye, you would think that this is not sufficient. 
The reason I know that, because I was the untrained eye, and I thought that this was not sufficient. Because I'm like, look at my f muscles on both sides. They are not protected. My legs are not protected, right? And what scholar Farron told me about this is that, and we have a few others who can share on this, and some of y'all own one or two or three or four. <laughs> um, we know you by name. Um, why this is such a vital piece of armor is that it protects the most vital organs. So when you're in battle, and this is really familiar to us since when we were in Ukraine, this was on our lips and we had somebody from our team wear one and next time we're going, we're wearing them. Um, but this is vital for protecting against the most vital organs. Wherever you get hit, anywhere else except the head, which is you, it's good to have a helmet, but anywhere else that you get hit, you can get patched up. Nothing else is as vital as protecting your lungs and your heart. And what else is a vital organ here? Liver. Your abs. <laughs> My abs. Got to protect those suckers. <laughs> but it's pretty heavy. And you get used to wearing it. But, but once you understand the importance of what this does, then you won't want to take it off in combat because this literally can save your life, and it does. And so when you think of the armor of God, when it talks about the breastplate, this is what it's talking about. Putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Proverbs 4.23 says this, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Or in this translation, keep and guard your heart with all vigilance and above all that you guard, for out of it flow the springs of life. The thing that's going to guard the most important part of you is called righteousness. Right? It's called righteousness. We should put this righteousness on, except the problem is that in our culture, righteousness is frowned upon and is discouraged because it's misunderstood. We love to talk about the love of God. We don't fully grasp what that is many times. It's like a cover-all statement that you can't go wrong. But we don't talk about the righteousness of God. If it is so vital that, that it protects our heart and our vital organs 
and it steers our life, how come we can be so callous in protecting it? And a lot of times when someone talks about righteousness, the world that we live in has perverted righteousness and focuses on self-righteousness. Self-righteousness and righteousness are not the same. Self-righteousness is focused on self. Proverbs has a lot to say about that. Chapter 16, verse 2 says, People may be pure in their own eyes, or all a person's ways seem right to him. But the Lord examines their motive. What this means is that you look at yourself and you can conclude that what you're doing is right. And it could be, you could be deceived far more easily than you'll give yourself credit. It's interesting because we don't really follow lies on purpose. And yet, we have made some horrible decisions that led us into lies and not into the place that we wanted to be. So in this verse lies the essence of righteousness and self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is not the attitude of me being holier than someone else. The word righteousness means to be in right standing with God. So in essence, self-righteousness means that you are trying to be righteous apart from God. You're focusing on yourself and pulling from yourself to be righteous. I'm feeling so strong, hold on. The word righteousness, or righteous, means to be in right standing with God. To, me, to mean, means to align oneself with God, taking his position and not your own position, and taking his position in every situation, not those situations that you deem you can stand on your own righteousness in. When you choose to trust your own understanding and stand where you think is right, then you are not in God's right standing but your own. This is called self-righteousness. It is trusting in what you think is right instead of seeking God for what he says is right. When you seek out and trust in what God says is right and walk in it, you are walking in God's righteousness rather than your own. Never put your trust in what you think is right. Your heart will lead you astray like it has in the past. 
Anybody's heart has deceived them. For a lot of spiritual people, they align their hearts with the Holy Spirit. So they blame God for a lot of things that they've done. If I feel it, it must be the Lord. And then when it fails, we ask, why God? <laughs> and I, sometimes I wonder why God doesn't just speak, talk back immediately and say, I never told you to do that. He allows us to wallow in these things, hoping that we will connect the dots because he's not out here just to tell us, turn left now, turn right now. He's in it for relationship. And in relationship, he will give you direction and guidance, but priority is relationship. Proverbs 14, 12, there's, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Solomon knows a lot about this. Proverbs 28, verse 25, a greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Or like you have here, a greedy person stirs up conflict, but whoever trusts in the Lord will prosper. Ooh, there's the word prosper. You will be enriched. You will be delivered, some version says. Verse 26 says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. So righteousness is right living no matter who's watching or not. It has to do with integrity. Many a times we are selective in what we do based on where we are at. And that's a problem. It's a huge problem because righteousness is a standard. It's a standard. It's acting in accordance with a divine or moral law without sin or guilt. So when you're thinking of self-righteousness, there is guilt and shame and sin associated with it. But when you're walking in God's righteousness, there is peace and joy and confidence and freedom. So self-righteousness is righteousness apart from God. And so right now you should be checking yourself. You may not fully know what righteousness is and we'll, we'll get there. But have you been tried to, to be your own standard? Walk according to your own drum. Maybe you're never called, you know, judgmental or, or holier than, than thou. Or, but maybe God's convicting you of your self-righteousness. But we are to seek this righteousness out and put it on because we must understand that it is vital for our survival. It protects the most sacred and vital areas of our lives. 
So this is not a suggestion. This is something that is fundamental. And it is more fundamental than you may even realize. So righteousness is being positioned with Christ, being in right standing with him. It's, it's about what Jesus has done for you, not what you have done for yourself. But it takes grace for us to receive it. And right standing will produce right living. And right living is living with integrity. Maybe you are being attacked because you are living an unrighteous life. Maybe your unrighteousness invites the enemy to have his way in your life. Maybe it's not something that someone can pray something off of you as much as it's your obedience in putting on righteousness. And I don't want to just speak on this. I want God to do something in regards to this here and now. So please, you will offend me if you leave here and say that was a good message. Because this... I'm just going to just lay on you what God has laid on me. Okay. Righteousness can be faked. But you cannot fool God or Satan. You can fake it and people will tend to see you in one light. And all you're doing is managing unrighteousness instead of eliminating it. Great manager until you lose control. <laughs> the Bible says that no one is righteous. And then it stamps this exclamation by saying, not even one, in case you thought you were. Number two, righteousness cannot be earned but it must be embraced and it must be put on because righteousness is a gift. The Bible talks about righteousness being imputed and righteousness being imparted, right? And Imputed means that it's given in a moment. The right word is justification. Where when you say yes to God, he imputes his righteousness on you. He's justified you. And justification basically, simply put, means that it's as if you have not committed all the 
crap that you've committed. That means he can deal with your things. You don't have to be the carrier of your garbage. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake, for our sake, for your sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Huh. If you allow these scriptures to just wait on your heart, just let it just marinate and sit. Righteousness is, is us receiving the gift so that then we can live from this gift. Because we can never attain it. We can never earn it. So righteousness is imputed and it is also imparted. Imparted means that it's worked out as well. Proper word for this is sanctification. And sanctification basically means is that God is continually doing a deep work in you so that you can reflect more and more of who your creator is. The reason that imparted righteousness is important and so is imputed righteousness, meaning that sanctification and justification are vital because we are beings that have three elements to, our, to us. We have the spirit, which is what God justifies, which is what God saves, the concept of being born again, your spirit goes from darkness to light. But then the problem becomes your flesh and your soul or your mind, your will and emotions. God doesn't save you. He doesn't save your body. He doesn't save your mind. He saves your soul. But the body the Bible talks about that we must crucify the body that means that we have to deny our flesh. So whenever we fast, right, we're denying the needs of the flesh for spiritual gain. That means that your body is not controlling you, but you are controlling your own body. And then the mind, the will, the emotions, the Bible doesn't call us to, God doesn't save us. And he does not call us to deny those. He calls us for the mind to be transformed. So if the spirit is saved, but the mind begins to be transformed. Now that takes a process. Because what God is wanting his people to be in control of their emotions and of their bodies he wants those things to be, to be submitted to the saved person. Does that make sense? You guys want to talk about Ukraine instead? No? Okay, good. 
Okay, so, so righteousness is imparted and is also imputed. So there is a righteousness that, that, that happens in a moment, and then there's also a righteousness that begins that you work out in life. Kind of like salvation. There's a salvation where you're saved in a moment, and there's also a working out of salvation. I'm just going to leave it at that for now, all right? Righteousness transforms us from the inside out. And this starts with our soul, with our spirit man. And the spirit is trained up then to bring the flesh and the soul into submission. And that is how you get life transformation. So we're not called to neglect our bodies or neglect our minds. We're called to put them into submission. And in most cases, we are not, those things are not submitted. This is why we have a hard time going to church. Because our body says, I'm too tired. What's the point? I know enough. This is why some of you guys don't work out. All right, I'm going to read Romans. Romans 1, 16 and 17 says this, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. I'm going to read from here. Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. Verse 17. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. All right. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 26. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as an atoning sacrifice in his blood, received through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because of his restraint. God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. That's so good. Verse, now, Romans chapter 6, verse 15. I got to read this, give us some context for righteousness. What then? Should we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Absolutely. What the heck are you thinking? No. That's my translation. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over. And having been set free from sin, you become and became slaves to righteousness. primary word righteousness in the Old Testament basically means that God always does the right things towards us. 
in the New Testament, in the Greek lexicon, basically says that righteousness is something that only belongs to God. And we can only learn it from him and then begin to apply it to our lives. But of ourselves, we have none. So here's, and I want to read this. I want this to really lay in your spirit this morning. Righteousness or justice, it is the essence of that which is just. Or of him who is just or righteous. It is conformity to all that he commands or appoints since God himself is a standard for the believer. The righteousness of God means the righteousness which belongs to God or God-like righteousness. The righteousness of God is the right which God has upon man. The right he does towards mankind in order for man to recognize and fully submit to the right of God upon his life. He must receive God who offers him or his righteousness to man as a gift, as we read. And we must receive it as a gift, not earn it. The recognition and acceptance of God's rights upon man realized through faith stands in opposition to the righteousness, which is of the law, which is man's acceptance of the claims of the law upon his life. So righteousness basically means that God will always do what is right. This is so simple and it's so profound all at the same time. This means that God, because he's righteous, he will always do the right thing. And he will always be fair. Not to you maybe, but from, what he, from where he sits at. That means that God always does what's best for mankind. Who does not want to follow a God who always wants best for them? This is such a basic truth that we can easily dismiss it and yet it's so profound that it changes destinies and lives when it realized. And then I want to read my final passage because I just want to show you how this kind of just, the reading even of this passage, it changes for me. And it's a famous passage, but it's always insufficiently read. John chapter 3, verse 29. I'm just joking. It's John 3, 16. But I want to read verse 15, 16, and all the way through 21. So that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life, right? For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one 
and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. So God did not send Jesus into the world to judge it because God has already judged the world. And God's judgment is just. So God does not need to judge the world. He does not need to send Jesus to judge the world because the, because the world is already judged. So the world did not need any more judging. The world needed saving. And so this is why Jesus was sent not to judge, but to save. Just because Jesus did not come to judge the world, it doesn't mean that the world is not judged. It actually means that the world is judged. So because God has judged the world, He sent Jesus to save the world. And why does the world need saving? Because the world is under judgment. And it's righteous judgment. If you saw it from God's viewpoint, you would align your righteousness with his and say, God, everything you've ever done is right. And if I was you, I'd probably do the same thing. God sent Jesus so that Jesus we're, all on, we're under judgment. God sent Jesus as my hand to save us from God's judgment. He's not saving us from Satan. Oh, he's saving us from himself. And what Jesus does is says here, I'm going to pull you out from God's judgment and I'm going to give you my righteousness which covers you. Which frees you. Jesus is the only way to come out of God's judgment. This is why we can't play games. This is why Christianity's is not even close to any other religions. You don't have nowhere where this, where this God judges humanity and then saves them if they want to be saved. There's always the devil against God, Jesus in the ring with Satan. Are you kidding me? The Bible tells us not to fear Satan, but to fear God. 
because God's judgment is right. Always right. And He wants to bring us into His alignment. So the gospel is not God demanding righteousness from us. The gospel is God making us righteous. But His righteousness demands change. If God pulled you out of sin, you cannot be stuck in sin. So your heart His righteousness protects your heart. Because your heart determines your course. That's why God is not a controlling freak. God is not in control. God is not a puppet master. God wants to set you on course. <laughs> I love this because this just wraps it up so nicely. 1 Thessalonians 5, 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Watch this. Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. Wow. So you have righteousness faith no one can see God apart from faith and love is how we will be known so you you can almost read this to say your faith and love will be protected by righteousness <laughs> 